Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. This morning, as uh, if you could just stay with me for just a little bit, uh, I'm going to invite you guys to just stay standing while I start this, okay? I know that's a little little strange and not normal. Those who are new, uh, this is not normal. I don't have you typically stay standing. Um, you can take whatever posture you want, whether you want to continue with your eyes closed as we're praying or, or you want to open up and listen. Uh, we are in a series called Roll Call, and we've been talking about different roles that we have in the kingdom. And God knew what he was going to do. My mentor actually had the opportunity to speak last week. And so we flip-flopped this week and last week. He spoke on being a disciple. And originally I was going to speak this message last week. God knew what he was going to do because I flipped the script a bit. You know, it's always fun when God does that. But just let you know, the role that we are going to be wrestling with is one that honestly, believe it or not, has been forever in the life of humanity. Uh, We just don't like to claim it as a role that we've had in humanity. Okay, so I'm going to let the shock factor sit as the word comes up. It's the role of being a slave. A slave. What we don't like to admit is that even the ungodly have this role being a slave. Scripture says in in an iconic way that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we've been enslaved by the lusts, by the sins. Even the times when we're trying to climb, climb the ladder and get good, we are actually still enslaved by that pride that thinks that we can get good on our own, right? Enslavement happens. We were slaves to the law, never able to do it. And then the gospel comes in. And what I love... The gospel didn't undo slavery. It fulfilled it. Because we were created to be servants. Just we were created to be servants of someone worthy to lead us. And scripture says, Paul writes, you were a servant, a slave of sin, but now you are a slave of righteousness, a slave of God. And as servants of God, we can be called children of God. You remember when I started that off? It is because we're a slave to him that we are a child to him. And this this beauty of this, and scripture says at the right time, Christ said, I don't want them in slavery. I'm going to die. At the right time, scripture says, Christ died for the ungodly. If you know me at all, one of the quotes that you'll hear me quoting over and over a scripture is that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and been brought in to the kingdom of light. The rule and reign of darkness, what we were enslaved by, has been shifted and now we are enslaved by light, by hope, the kingdom. And it's interesting, this isn't a thought that's uncommon. I mean, we read in the New Testament and the Old Testament, King David, Adonai, they would call him, Master, Lord, we are your servants. But then Jesus, and the reason I want you standing up, Jesus often spoke to his disciples and they would be standing. And there's this one time in Luke 9, when Jesus, here, he was on the same level, and he looked at them, he's like, he's praying, and then he came to them, and he said, Who do people say that I am? And some of the disciples sparked up answers. They were like, well, some say like you're Elijah reincarnated. Others of you, others say this and that. And then Jesus pauses and he goes, 
but who do you say that I am? And then only one is recorded the answer. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. That means you are the anointed, you are the heir, you are the king, you are the supreme, you are the everything. Jesus is right now asking, who am I? Because I'm about to be a savior and some of you like that. You want me to save you from all these things, but I am the Lord. And it's only those who confess my lordship. Who do you say that I am? And this morning, I'm about to pray, Ben, you'll be able to leave, okay? But I believe if Jesus was here right now, this whole sermon will literally be saying, who do you say that I am? Who do you actually say that I am? Am I what other people call Lord? Or am I what your heart determines Lord? Am I sitting on the throne of other people's hearts and you just like to join in and sing when it's convenient? Or am I sitting in the throne room of your heart as Lord? He says, who do you say I am? So Jesus in this place, I will take the lead and claim you, you are my Lord. You are Adonai. You are the most high God. You're the one that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow and knee to because they had a God that was higher. You were the one that King David said, I am a servant king. The, the, the guy who had the most power in the physical world said, I am a servant of someone higher. Jesus, you are king. So Father, I pray that the hearts that want to follow suit on that plea, that, that confession will hear from you the hearts that maybe are still enslaved by the sins of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the ways of the world, that they would see you in glory and that redemption would have, be had today. May the words of my mouth, Jesus, may the meditation of my heart may it be pleasing to you because your word says you cannot serve two masters. And in this room, if we are trying to serve two, we will always end up accidentally, you say, loving one and despising the other. Serving one and neglecting the other. The same disciples who said, you are the Messiah, Peter would one day serve his flesh and deny you three times. It's an ongoing issue with your disciples, Jesus. We like to serve many masters. I put you in the throne room. I see you as most high. And we want to learn from you. Your name, Jesus, and for your glory, I pray all of this. Amen. Glory, you guys can have a seat in the throne room, right? Like, you can have a seat. To the disciples, the same ones that he would say all of this, you cannot serve two masters. You either love one or hate the other or whatever. He now says in Luke 12, which is where we're going to be this morning. Okay, so if you want, if you have an, the Apple, uh, if you have an iPhone or whatever Android that you like to use there, pull it out. Luke 11, if you have the printed Bible and you're, you're more of that kind of, go to Luke chapter 12, okay? 
Here's where we're going to sit for a bit, and I really would like you to dive in with me, because uh, Jesus is teaching a series of parables over being a servant and being a slave, and this is the first one, and I think it's going to be a little fitting, okay, if you sit with me, but I'm diving right in this morning. If you are in the back and you, you know that your attention span is like that of a squirrel, command yourself in, okay? We're, we're here. He is worthy. So chapter 12, verse 35 reads this, be dressed for action. Have your lamps lit. And again, he's talking to the disciples. Be dressed for action. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Verse 37, blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, He will fasten his belt and have them sit down and eat. And he will come and he will serve them. Some of you just underline that because that needs to make more sense to your heart than what your mind quickly reads past. Verse 38 happens. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so alert, blessed are those slaves. I invite those men who are back there, come on in. Blessed are the slaves who are alert. Come on in. We got, we got one guy who, who will be serving at the door. That's great. Come on in. I really want to encourage the mind to be alert today. All right? Really want to encourage, or they can leave. That's good too. Uh, <laughs> oops. We really want to encourage the mind to be alert today. It says, but this, know this, verse 39. If the owner of the house had not known at what hour a thief was coming, he would not have left, let his house be broken into. So you also must know, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And so if you saw this at the very beginning, dressed for action. This word is really fun. I, when I was a youth pastor, I played a lot with it because... Uh, Students are just fun, you know, and you can, you can be a little bit more edgy. Uh, but the actual word is, is have your loins girded. And so we did this whole little series where we did funny videos. Uh, we went to our college campus and filmed knees down and just really went in there, like, to the guys, <laughs> to a guy's dorm and said, hey, can we film you pulling up your pants? And they were like, what? Yeah, 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 just for youth ministry, just knees down, all right? Like, that's all we're going to do. And they're like, sure. And they just drop, whoa, not like that. Maybe, like, could we put, <laughs> but it was this whole funny of, like, all right, gird up, pull it up. Because this imagery here is, is to have nothing blocking your legs so that when you need, you can walk. You can walk clearly. You can stretch out. You can move swiftly. Have your loins girded. Be dressed for action. And the next thing says lamps lit, meaning I will not let darkness overcome any part of this. I will have a lamp lit in every place so that when my master comes, I will be ready. I will be ready. If you want to take notes of this, uh, a watchful slave stewards the affairs of the master. And I'm going to hit this really fast because I have a very intentional place I want to be. You see, when it comes to being a slave of God, I really like this idea of God I want to know your affairs. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you have. I, know what, I want to know what you hold. I want to know what you have. In store, have in thoughts of what your business is. And in fact, if you want to bring this down, like 
When it comes to the affairs, it means the dealings of the master. In a very real way, let's say your master is gone. Put yourself in this. I now have to tend the house. I got to tend his business, his dealings. I got to take care of his agenda, what his schedule is, because he's off and now I'm here. And so we got to figure out what does he like to do that now has to get done while he's away. What is his agenda? What does it look like for him to move and operate in this house? Because he's not here, so we have to. The next one, like an agenda, is the business of, like the finances, his vision, his resources. It's really cool. The master leaves, and he leaves everything in charge of the servants. Like, here's my money. Here are my bills. Here are my things. If there is a need in my kingdom, I need you to take care of it. Here are the resources. Here are the ways. And the slave manages all that the master has. And you can fit that in where you know the next one, his concerns. A slave doesn't have concerns of their own. The slave cares for the cares of the master. The slave cares for the state, the desire, the wants of the master, his heart, his will. And the servant who is ready, who is dressed, whose lamp's lit, when the master comes home, it's a very beautiful thing. And what I love, uh, this is just a little aside that I encourage you to dive into in your small group. Are you ready? This is a little fun nugget. Uh, he doesn't just say the master is gone. He says that the master is gone at the wedding banquet which the wording in the Greek does not just mean he's an attendee of the wedding. It means that the brother's getting married. It means that he is the groom at the wedding banquet. And so really what it means is this is not just anything that the master's gone to. This is the master gone to get hitched, which means the whole house is about to change because he's bringing who home? His bride. So now... It's not just the dealings, the agenda of the master like normal. Now it is the dealings and the agenda of the master, a married man who is now one with a bride who I haven't fully met yet. But now I got to know like what their schedule is. Now I got to know what their finances will be like, what their vision is collectively. What I mean in all this is some of you like to treat the church like she's not a part of the marriage. And so you're waiting on your Lord to come back and don't realize that the house has to fit both the husband and the wife. In fact, we or many of us are waiting for this God who is saving me, but really he's bringing me home too with others. It's this beauty of now, like, in order for me to be a slave of the king, I actually have to consider other people. In order for me to be a slave of the king, I actually have to care for her, the bride. I got to go above and beyond to know not just my master, but who he's about to be one to. And it's really beautiful, but it continues. The, Jesus was this master teacher, and I love it. Uh, he is leading this little slavery piece right after he spoke something that we like to sing. You know the song, Jaira? Jaira, you are enough, right? That, that was me singing really well. Right before this, if you want to scroll up, if you want to flip a few pages, uh, chapter 12, Luke, just right before this, at verse uh, 22, Jesus says to the disciples, Scripture says, if you put it up, therefore, 
do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. And it's really interesting that he's saying this. Uh, he's prepping them. Because what we will get to is, is the affairs of the king will be thwarted by the affairs of the individual. If I care about feeding myself, if I care about clothing myself, then I will miss out on what the king who clothes, right? Because you know this story. He says, look at the fields, the flowers. They are clothed every year. Look at the sparrows. The father feeds them. If he cares for them, how much more will he care for you? And so, slave, don't, do not look at your own thoughts, your own wants, your own feeding or fearing, because every bit of it, I mean, he's like, food is not your life. Don't be anxious. That word, some of you need to like highlight, do not worry, because that word worry means to have concern for, to be anxious about. And some of you are like anxious annies, like literally anxiety cripples you daily. And what we don't realize is how narrow of a focused anxiety gives us. It's our aperture just goes, and only upon our walk do we begin to look. Only upon what we're doing do we begin to look, and Jesus knows, I'm about to tell them to have their lamps lit and their loins girded. They're going to need to hear this. If you want to write this down, worry conspires against godly people. It really does. Worry. I mean, I wrote some things. Uh, that, that whole, I, we begin to literally affair, like we, we begin to do the affairs of worry. Just like how a good servant cares for the affairs of the, of the master, we begin, without meaning to, begin to uh, steward the affairs of worry. Worry is a, it conspires against us. A couple of things that you can write down if you think about it, like, when I'm anxious, I begin to schedule things based off my anxiety. Anyone else? Instead of scheduling things based off of my master. When we're anxious, we begin to handle finances through the business of our anxiety instead of the business of the kingdom. Think about it. I mean, this is very practical. When I, when I get anxiety, I begin to think through the agenda of what will make me less anxious instead of just going to the one who has it. It keeps going, though. Like, we begin to get the vision. Some of you, who You can get whatever insight you want through the lens of worry, I mean, Google will give you anything. Anyone, a new parent in the room, the worst thing you can ever do is Google things because your baby's going to die. Like, that's what it says. Like, it's just going to happen. If you're ever sick or hurting or uh, are, are trying to fix tiles on the floor, there's just Google will say, you've screwed it up. It's gone. It's, it's going to blow up. You, you, you messed it up forever. It's because you will always find vision, insight into your worries. But every single one of those begin to dictate, master, lord you, right? Do not worry about what you're clothed with, this clothing. Do not worry about the things that you have to put on in order, some of you, to be seen as enough. And others of you, to be not seen. Some of you want to be literally in the background of all things, and so you 
worry about what you wear as if it will, what will it perceive me as, how they will, how they will uh, treat me, all of these things. Do not worry about what you eat, what you put in, the things going on. I wrote another one. We begin to see resources and authority through the lens of our anxieties. Like now, some of you begin idolizing finances because it is the answer for you to no longer be anxious at home. Some of you begin idolizing an empty weekend because it is the reason, it is the avenue toward peace. Some of you begin idolizing this, this, this wonder of a marriage and you're like, I just, if I could just get a girl, if I could just get a boy, and we begin idolizing things through the lens of our anxiety. And what we don't realize is how quickly that thing becomes our Lord. It is. It becomes our Lord. We start caring about the wrong things. Anyone in the room just realize when you look in hindsight, like I just was caring about the wrong thing. When we launched this church, I will be the first to say I was caring about the wrong things. Uh, some of us, like the pandemic taught us a lot of things, right? Uh, it, it taught some people, I mean, it taught the church at large, pastors, it taught us that the people who fill our seats, most of them fill the seats out of obligation. And the moment that the pandemic hit, now people have to fill the seats out of desire. And that was huge and hard. Many pastors realized, like, through the pandemic, there was a lot of things I was caring about, like numbers, that don't actually matter because the numbers filling the room was there because they thought they were obligated to go. And now every single one of them, like we experienced this divot. And I, I remember all my friends were just like, what is happening to my ministry? And the Lord just allowed it to shed light and say, this is where it's been the whole time. This is where it's been the whole time. I cared so much about the big production. I mean, if you remember, whew, we had people coming here at 6 a.m. at the Linwood YMCA to set it up. We start caring about things that fit our agenda because we are anxious about how people will perceive us or how good or bad we will do. And all that says in the scriptures, it's not the competent servant will be rewarded. It's the one who's just ready who's alert. I love this word alert. It's the word Gregoreo. If you hear my name in it, you're right. If some of you think he's a little bit too much. Maybe you should be with me, okay? Uh, no, it's this word alert. It means to be watchful, to be vigilant, to be always aware. And that's what he call, he's calling us. As a servant, you don't need to be competent. You just need to have your eyes open. You don't need to be competent. You just need to have your waist up, your, your loins girded. Get ready to move if he says it. A good thing for you is some of you, like warriors, just decide at the beginning of the day, yes, yes, Adonai, yes, Jesus. The answer's already yes. Whatever you're going to say, I'm already going to be ready to say yes, so you really need to, to do that. At the beginning of the day, I will be ready. I will be ready. Yes. It's so beautiful, though. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storehouse or barn. Yet God feeds every single one of them. Some of you have withheld your giving because of the anxiety. You're getting, you're 
You're, you're getting how to work, how to give, how to love, how to serve from your anxieties. You're getting when to show up and when to not show up based off of your Lord, your worries. Right? Like it, it's just, it should hit. Because then he'll say in this same chapter, you cannot serve two masters. Jesus knew my disciples, like one day you're going to love, you're going to love protection. And one day you're going to despise me. He looked at Peter and I just, if he would know, like the Holy Spirit knew, Peter, right now you're saying you love Jesus, but soon you will love your worries and your fears. And you'll love them so much that a little girl will say, don't you belong to him? And you'll tell that little girl who literally could not hurt you. No, I don't know him. And you will deny and you will show right there that you despise me and love your freedom and your freedom, right? You love your protection. Will worry add anything to your life, Jesus says. Will it give you an extra day? I love it when he speaks that. But then he continues, and it, it is this, this is how he sets up the parable. Now that we can, just a fun little trick. If you want to be a student of the word, never start when the header tells you to start. Okay? That is a really American thing that, like, it is the translators who said, hey, how about we name every little section? And then you're going to begin starting the section at verse 35 when the Holy Spirit was like, I started the story long before that. And in fact, what you're about to read in 35 only makes sense by where I came from. And so right before this, literally right before he says the servant, he says this, it is the nations of the world that are striving for those things, clothing, satisfaction, covering, food, and your father knows that you need them. He does. But then instead, he says, strive first, Matthew says, seek first the kingdom. And all of these things will be given to you. In fact, Matthew even goes, says, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you. It's interesting, uh, the English word, it says, strive and strive. Or some of you say, it says, seek and seek. A little fun, little Greek thing. Those are actually different words in the Greek. The first one, is, I mean, it has the same root, but the first has this word epi, E-P-I. Anytime epi is used in a word, what it does is it takes that word and then it overdoes it. It means it's exhaustively true, where God says he epigonoscos you. That means he knows you. But more than that, he overly knows you. He's intimate, and it's a beautiful word when it's a good thing to be doing. But right here, it's saying the world overcompensates for what they're lacking. And every strife, every sought after thing is an overly done thing based off of their own enslavement. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes you're like, I'm just overcompensating for my bad day and now I'm trying to do, 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 do. You're overseeking, overseeking. But it's really cool when he talks about the kingdom, he, uses, he loses the word epi. And when you lose the word epi, the word seek really just means to seek knowing you will find. That's beautiful. Where it's just overly seeking and it doesn't have an, an end 
The word seek says seek with the intention, the knowledge, the assurance that you'll find it. See, when he's talking about this, he's like, the world overcompensates and seeks. The world strives based off of what they fear and feel and are concerned with and are anxious about. But my kingdom people, my slave, my servant, they need only to look in the cupboards for what they need to clean with. They only need to look in the storehouse Because when I left for the wedding ceremony, I put everything they're going to need in the house already. What my my, my students, my stewards, my servants need to know is literally, if they just seek it in the kingdom, they will find it. They will find the hope that they need for today because it's in there. It might be rubbing shoulders with someone that you don't want to talk to because you know they will see you as you are, not as you wish you could be clothed with competence or beauty. Some of you, you think beauty is just this polished look, but beauty is in the woman who screams on the ground like, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And she's weeping and annoying and like everyone's annoyed by her. The disciples say, shut her up. That's beauty. If we just seek the kingdom, all of those things would be given to us, every one of them. And I love this. If you go back to, I don't know what slide, I just want them to see these words. I'm going to tell you, Jesse. Okay, go back to slide three. If you go to slide three, this beautiful wording, this is what happens for those who are alert. This is really cool. I told you to underline it. Blessed are the slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and he will serve them. It's really beautiful. Uh, This is a master who just got married. What do you think the master wants to do when he gets home? Not see slaves. But this is an imagery that just literally says, everything you've done, I'm about to just sit you down and I'm going to care for you. That word serve them means to comfort. In fact, like if I can just, this is an end, end of the days kind of talk, but also just a daily. Anyone just remember the times when you decided to get over your anxiety and to just be ready and expectant for the Lord to work? And then you felt him knocking. And maybe your flesh in the past would have been like, no, he's going to convict me. Or no, he's going to tell me all these things or that I'm not good enough. But you decided that one day, I'm just going to respond. And what did he do? It was like he set you down, took the load off your feet, and began caring for you. This is the imagery of the alert servants where we are tending, we are moving, we are waiting. How can you keep going, Pastor Greg? It seems like there's a lot going on because at the end of the day, like I'm alert and Jesus keeps showing up. And when he does, he just knocks. And I've learned, and not always, I'm a mess at times. I'm a mess a lot of times. And you just hear him knocking and I pause. And it's that come to me all who you are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. What this means is he knocked, we opened, he came in, he said, sit, Greg. And I sit, and, I'm, and he tends. Some of you have no relationship with Jesus like that because you think your servanthoodness is all about your competence. So you keep moving and moving and moving. 
and working and working and working. It's fueled by your fears of him not pleasing, being pleased by you. It's fueled by your lusts of what you want to pursue and then you'll give your time to Jesus. It's fueled by your anxieties of what you want to build your life to be, but he's knocking and you're never opening and you're never then getting to sit. Some of you are like, I will sit. I just, I just need to rest. And Jesus is like, girl, if you'd open the door and notice I'm here, I would give you rest. That job promotion won't, that thing won't, that, that sleeping in won't give you rest. I will give you rest. I will. I wrote this down that the lie of overextending ourselves will always keep us from hearing the knockings of God. That epi-seeking, that lie of overextending ourselves. And sometimes overextending yourself means that you are forcing yourself to not do good things too. Like, it doesn't mean that you're just doing all these things. Sometimes not doing things is overextending yourself too. And in this awkward backup way. We seek first the kingdom and all this will be added. We seek first the kingdom and all of those things will be given. I wrote, it is the blessed slaves who steward his affairs, who tend his things, who continue his business on earth, who pray like he prayed, who work like he worked, who see people like he sees people, who, who, who move in with the spirit. It's them who when he comes every day and at the end of days and he comes knocking, he will serve, he will sit, he will dine with them. He will serve them. Who do you say that he is? Is he Adonai? Is he that Lord? I'm compelled this week, okay? Uh, I'm convicted this week. Compelled. That our Lord has been knocking on the doors of our church's heart. And maybe you're here for the first time. My name's Greg, by the way. I don't feel like I introduced myself. Cool. I'm glad we got through with that. Uh, Maybe this is your first time. I'm compelled, compelled, convicted that the Lord has been knocking on the hearts of his people. And maybe for months, yet out of fear or disbelief or lack of faith or an abundance of worry or anxiety or strife or other things, this thought of I have to have it all together, that we've done anything but answer the door. And I'm convicted. I'm convicted that we haven't heard his knocking we haven't felt the, the tinge of his spirit, his presence. Maybe a knocking on the door has happened this past week or this month, and you've missed it. Okay, so I've been praying for those of you who, who know, uh, know me. I try to be vulnerable and open. I can't share mo- many details, but there's about a dozen, over a dozen people, over a dozen people in our church who are hurting right now. Stories that they aren't confident yet to share in the church. And it's been a lot. Uh, I'm not alone in it, so it's not a lot for me. I, I, I'm, I'm leaning on people, so I don't even have to worry that I'm overextending. No, I, it's beautiful, but it has been eye-opening, and I'm praying, and I really felt the Lord speak into my heart, Greg, these things are going on. Only the few are finally speaking of them. Okay, I'm going to say that. These things have been going on, but only a few, the few, are finally speaking of them. 
And so I've been praying, and I'm not even kidding. I've been praying and, and on my knees and praying with some men in this past week. The Lord's brought some clarity in our morning men Bible study. It, it was just, it was really good. Uh, so I'm going to end this sermon in a really strange way. Uh, we're going to go Old Testament. Are you ready? It's a story. I wasn't familiar with it. Maybe you are. It's a story of Balak or Balak and Balaam or Balaam, whatever you want, you want it. Balak and Balaam. Okay, that's how I like to say it, so that's how you'll hear it. It is in Numbers 22 to 25, and then a little bit into 31. And the story, if I could just dictate it for you, okay, uh, it's a really cool story. If you haven't listened to anything, please listen to this story. All right, it's chaos. Okay, this story is really cool. The place in history is Israel has just been freed from slavery by Egypt. Okay, so put yourself in that mindset. Uh, Pharaoh, let my people go, blah, 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 blah. Freedom, happiness, waters fall. They're, they're happy. They're freed. They were being enslaved. They were being molested. They were being hurt. They were being broken. They were being captives. And now they're free. And what began to happen is like a uh, snowball effect. They were getting stamina on the way to the promised land. And people were being dominated by Israel. And so they were encamped near Moab. And the king heard of this people that have been overcome with power, sweeping through the cities. And he is fearful. And scripture says this, literally, he says this, a people to Balaam. He reaches out to a well-known prophet, hoping that um, that this man, Balaam, would curse Israel. And so he's telling Balaam this, like, a people has come out of Egypt, and they have spread over the face of the earth, and they have settled next to me. He's like, I'm next. Come now, Balaam. Curse these people for me. Because they are stronger than I am. Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out from the land if you curse them. For I know that whomever you bless is blessed, and whomever you curse is cursed. And so he sends these messengers, Balak, and you can keep this up for a bit. Balak sends these messengers to speak this to Balaam with some money. And Balaam, it's a crazy story. You could read it. Chapter 23 talks about a donkey who's talking. It's pretty crazy. A donkey's like, whoa, 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 let's not do this, Balaam. And if anyone's ever heard an animal talk, we'll talk afterwards. But Balaam did. He heard a donkey. And it made him, this is what the donkey said. Are you ready? The donkey said, whenever you go to Balak, this is what the Lord wanted to make sure happened. You only say what I tell you. You only speak what I speak. And so Balaam's like, got it. Got it. I, you are my Lord. Got it. And so he goes, and it's really an interesting thing. Uh, one day I will probably do a whole sermon series on this. Mark my word, because it's a really cool story. But he goes, and Balak takes him onto a top of a mountain, and he shows him the people encamped below, and he's like, curse them. And Balaam's like, I'll ask God if I can. I need to make sacrifice. And so he asks for 12 rams, cuts their throats, Sends them a sacrifice to the Lord, and then the Lord speaks to Balaam. And it's really beautiful. The first time, the first time, he says this, uh, the Lord says no. And in a long way, he speaks this, the eye of the Lord is upon Israel. And so Balaam's like, sorry, dude, it didn't work. 
And Balak's like, no, 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 no. He takes him to a different mountain with a different vantage point to see Israel from a different point of view. And he says, curse them here. And Balaam's like, I'll ask God, give me more animals. So he kills more animals, puts them in the fire, and the Lord speaks. And it's interesting, the Lord speaks and he says, I call these people blessed. And he has promised. And what the Lord has promised, will he not do it? God has spoken. Will he not fulfill it? These are direct quotes. The Lord is their God and he is with them. He is acclaimed, and I love this, as their ruler. He is their ruler. You can't hurt them. And then it says this, look at them. They're rising up like lions, ready to eat their prey. And Balaam's like, or Balak is like, shoot, let me take you to another place. And he takes them to another mountain as if this is going to change. And I just imagine Balaam's like, give me more animals. Give me, give me more animals. And he kills these 12, sends them as an offering to the Lord. And the Lord speaks this again. No. And he says, look at them. They are rising up ready to kill now. And it's beautiful. He says, who will stand against? And most important, if you want to read this later, it's really cool. It says, the tents of Israel are pleasing to the Lord. They are stretching far. It says, they are planted beside rivers. They are like strong trees beside waters. Their seed will have abundant water and will be stronger than all. And then it changes. His kingdom shall be exalted. It's already talking. This is a prophetic word from Balaam about Jesus to Balak who wants to kill these people. And God's like, no, there's going to be a seed of Jacob who will devour the nations. Who will stand against? In hearing this, Balak is furious. All right? Furious. He says, I'm not going to pay you anymore. And Balaam's like, cool. And then he leaves. It literally says, Balaam went on his way and Balak went on his way. And you don't get any of the backstory other than that, that's tw chapter 24, it ends, and then 25 happens. If you will put this up for me. Literally the next sentence. While Israel was staying at Shittim, the people began to have sexual relations with the women of Moab. These women invited the people to sacrifice to their gods. And the people ate, and they bowed down to those gods. Thus Israel yoked itself to Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. The scripture continues and it says that there was this plague of idolatry that swept throughout the people. The blessed servants began to eat what the Moabites eat. Do you see that? They invited the people to eat and they ate and they bowed down. The blessed servants began clothing themselves with the, the, the wrong worship. The blessed servants began this nasty act of idolatry. It's interesting. And the plague sweeps throughout Israel. Blessed Israel. We read in chapter 31, and this is crazy. You ready? This is the, the what? You remember the promise that God told to Balaam? This, this, I will speak through you. You must only speak what I speak. Right? We'll read in chapter 31 of Numbers that Balaam was actually the one who advised Balak to send in harlots. These blessed people, I can't curse them. But if you want, there might be a way 
to distract them. And if you send in these harlots, they might bow down to your ways. And so in chapter 31, we see God telling Moses and Aaron to kill Balaam, put him to death, because he did not do what the Lord had instructed. He knew distracting the ones who lead in the homes would lead the whole home to idolatry. And here's the prophetic word for our church. I have seen a number of breakthroughs in our church. I've seen marriages be healed in our church. I've seen people be healed. I have seen insecurities fall. I have seen people stand in confidence in the Lord. But I also feel like this year, the enemy is noticing there are godly people who have been enslaved by Egypt and they have found freedom and they are spreading everywhere. The enemy had a plan for your job place, but you walked in. The enemy had a plan for your neighborhood, but you walked in. The enemy had a plan for your children, but then you walked in. And he's seeing they are encamped and are spreading everywhere. And in fact, they're really close to what, they're really close to where I am right now. And so he goes to this series, I know I cannot curse them because they're blessed. In fact, many of you have had to deal with this. I've had many counseling sessions. This, many of you who are small group leaders, you've experienced this. Can we just all look back? There has been, if, if not three, then more opportunities where the enemy has tried to accuse you from a different vantage point of your life, right? And he's trying to accuse you from a vantage point and it's just not happening and not working. It's just not working. And so then he decides, I can't curse them. I can't call them unashamed or ashamed. I can't call them condemned. So I'm going to distract them. And I'm going to send in where they are, into their home, into their thoughts. I'm going to send in a spirit that will distract them. That through knocking down this authority, I will lead their family into idolatry. Now, I prayed heavily for what these things were. He knew I cannot curse, but I've been asking God, like, God, we called this whole year breakthrough. Why am I feeling like we're just like hitting a wall? What is going on? And why are we hitting a wall with people still acting in these same ways, but now under the, the realm of like, it's for good, and it's not for good. And it's just like, why, God, why do we keep? And then he gave this word, and it was like, <sighs> the enemy's trying to curse them, and he knows now he can't, so he's going to distract us. So I prayed, and these three things, and now I encourage you, before you put them up, uh, Jesse, I encourage you, uh, 
I know the spiritual world. And so many of you are going to all of a sudden start needing to pee or you're going to be distracted or you're going to be like, oh, I got to go get my kid. They're crying. Or you're going to be, oh, I got to text. I got to deal with it. I encourage you, be alert. Okay. So I asked God, like, what are those spirits? And the first one I felt like, and I prayed and asked a lot of people, first one I prayed through and found a spirit of hypocrisy. There's a spirit of hypocrisy leading to idolatry in our church. And you're like, oh, this is awkward. I don't like this. Because servants are trying to clothe themselves. And you think you need to be happy when really you need to mourn as other people are mourning. You think you need to butter it up. The lure to cover is the spirit of hypocrisy. The lure to clothe myself, the fear of opinions of man, to the point where you have been invited by the spirit to build lies, to build facades, to stretch the truth, the idol of self-righteousness has stepped forward through this spirit of hypocrisy. Vanity, isolation has plagued you. You're like, why isolation? Because you know who you are. You feel like it. You know that you wouldn't fit in there. Hypocrisy is also people who cover themselves with shame when the spirit of the most high has called them unashamed. Hypocrisy is operating, being clothed with a lie. It's idolatry of hypocrisy in the room. In our church, prayed and asked for another one and I felt like the Lord said the spirit of scarcity. And this word scarcity just means this belief that there's not enough. There's not enough resources. And I feel like the way that the enemy has distracted, he knows I cannot curse you and call you not enough anymore because some of you have stood that ground and you're like, I am not enough. Like I am enough in him and not enough in my flesh, but am enough in him. And you've gone through this battle enough that the enemy is now like, I'm going to distract you with this mindset that there isn't enough. So what that looks like is you begin saving, saving. <laughs> okay, wow, that's a different direction than my brain went. You ready? Uh, you begin saving your relational capital because you think the, the world, that this life is so pressure-filled that like I just need to save my relational capacity because I don't have enough. And this lure here has created idolatry in what you are doing with your time. Because your relational capital, this spirit of scarcity has made it my time. Another one, you, bond, you bonded yourself with the lie that you just don't have enough. And so some of you are starting to cheat in your finances. No one likes to hear that. Some of you are cheating in your finances. You're saying one thing and like, 
Ananias and Sapphira who, who, who said one thing but meant another. It was the spirit of scarcity that I believe made them think, I can't give what I said I would give, and so I'm going to lie and deceive because there's not enough in the storehouse for me. And so idolatry of finances comes. The idolatry of your dreams We begin to hold, take, withhold. Idols of success begin to happen. Idols of addiction, all because of the lie, there isn't enough. So then I ask the third one. And before we get into it, I just, the agenda of hypocrisy is what has been destructive in your home. It's the agenda of scarcity. It is the plans that your hypocrisy, your, the lies are making in your world. All of that can be ended upon putting who should be in the throne room and the throne. But the last one I asked the Lord, and I believe he said the spirit of sexual morality. Wow, he went there. I am tired of godly people continuing to live in shame of sexual morality when you have been called unashamed. There's men and women in our church who are in bondage from pornography. And you keep thinking, if I just keep confessing it, it will change. No, it's an idol right now. It's not the confession of the idol that will help. It is the rooting of it. It is the figuring out all of the lies that were attached to it and doing it with the community. Spirit of sexual morality that has seized our women and men. The lure to make bonds with what isn't mine to bond with. Like I'm just tired. If you're married, how has sexual morality hit your, your family? If you're not married, should you live with them? Should you sleep with them? Is it speaking into this lie that you can have what you want and not face any consequences? We must take a stand against these spirits. Spirit of sexual morality is destroying. Because I work with people, I work with people who on the other side of it are now standing firm and said, if I could change it, I would have rewritten all of it. But now by God's grace, it is my story. And so I stand in the light with it. But if I could, I would tell anyone, don't do it. Don't do it. Honestly, this is one larger than we would like to admit. The sea, it's a wave has hit. And what, I, what is interesting, why I call it idolatry versus, I believe these have been issues in our church for a while. Some of you, you've been struggling for years. But for some reason, this past season, it has seized you in a way like never before. And it is now becoming your identity. And now you're acting like it's normal. In fact, you've convinced yourself it's normal. What that means is the woman of Moab has now invited you to eat and bow down. And I just like, my Savior is knocking on your heart and saying everything 
everything that is screaming at you will demand, will demand one thing. It will promise that rest. It will promise that satisfaction. But only I will. And I believe he's been knocking. And the the hard thing is, is and I'm going to keep this going. Every Sunday morning I've watched as he's been knocking. And some of you answer. Only to then shut him out on a Monday night when that drink looks really heavy. It looks really nice. He's knocking. And so I just, I'm just asking, who do you say that he is? Because the issue, so to go back to the story, the plague ended when the people who began it confessed. Now, it's an awkward story. Um, God told them, if you're struggling with it, like, if, if you were the men, we're going to need to spear you. And now, I'm not going to be killing anyone. That's not the thing. But I, I will let you know something that you tend to not connect yourself to. Jesus became a curse. He became sin so that you could be righteous. Quite literally, the word of God, like a spear, cut him. He has already faced the punishment that those men faced on your behalf. So what I am calling you to do is can you connect with that sword that put Jesus on the cross and stand in unison with it and say, I have been buried with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me. And so I'm going to invite, like, the band, you guys can come up. I invite you just out of, like, just the posture. I just want everyone to take the same posture. So even, band, when you come in, if you could just sit, sit. I just prayed and asked God, okay, Lord, like, how do we as a church attack, go on offense for the things that have been deceiving us? I feel like you said you take a stand. And so I just want to, I prepped their huddle this. Could you put those three back, the spirit of hypocrisy, the spirit of scarcity, and the spirit of sexual morality. If there is one or more of those that if you are honest with your heart, you said have taken up residence in the throne room of your life, could you take a stand against it? I'm going to invite you, corporate confession, but it's nice because there's three, so no one knows, right? Taking it further, this is part one. But then I have to now confess it to people that I know 
there for me. So now I'm going to tell my community, my small group, I mean, we could pretend that you were it. Like a spirit of scarcity is destroying my heart. If I keep thinking that there's not enough time, we have like two mortgages going on in my home. And so I discussed, like I started realizing that Kate and I are starting to like think in a scarcity mindset with our money of like what we're not willing to pay for or what we're not willing to do. And it's based off of what we don't have in our mind versus what we do have. And I become really fearful of the next month because I'm like, will our house be done or will we be in debt? And it's just been, I didn't realize that it's become an idol that everything is now like formed in this time of like, I have to give. So I stand to attack the spirit of scarcity. I invite you, if you, if one of those have been attacking your heart, Holy Spirit in this place, should invite your presence to knock. That Holy Spirit, one by one, men and women would take a stand against how they've been deceived. I invite you to stand. If you are, whoa. I invite you to stand against one of these that have been hitting you. Whether you realize it or not, the majority of our church has been hit with one or more of these things. And so I'm going to take a posture of authority and pray over you, okay? Father God, right now, I recognize and we admit the hypocrisy that we've been operating with. Lord, by the authority you've given me as your son, a resource in your kingdom is to demolish strongholds. So right now, I just pray that every bond, every yoke, every lie that has driven itself, intertwined itself into the hearts, the identity of your children to lead them to cover, to lead them to isolate, to lead them to separate, to lead them to lie. I just declare right now it is broken. The spirit of hypocrisy has no place in our church. It must leave. It must leave. What I love about your light is that when your light comes, the darkness tries to overcome it, but it cannot. It must flee. So we take a stand against the spirit of hypocrisy. When I'm weak, I speak I'm weak. When I'm sinning, I speak I'm sinning. When I'm aching or fearful, I speak I'm aching and fearful. 
And Father, right now I speak and stand against the spirit of scarcity in our church. We do not need anything but you. We have created a false gospel to our children. They now are looking for the things that we keep occupying our time with because we're trying to achieve. We're trying to get. So Holy Spirit in this place, break the bonds, the bonds, the yokes of slavery upon scarcity. That there has been an idolatry to finances. Lord, we make confession of the cheating, of the fudging of numbers. We make confession that an idolater is in our home and it's us. Holy Spirit, the way that we've been talking about our relationships is this a mindset of it, I don't have enough. Will you break those lies? Holy Spirit, this last one, your word tells us that sexual sins are different than many others and they're not worse, but listen, church, Paul says they are different. It is a sin against our own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, in our minds, we have already united ourselves with something other than what you've given us. And it has been an open door to many. Holy Spirit, in this place, there are people who have been to dark places in their heads, to dark places on the internet. Holy Spirit, there are marriages whose sexual morality has come in all the ways. I declare the lies broken. We are servants of the Most High. We are slaves of righteousness. So right now I stand against sexual perversion. I stand for the gospel that declares that I have the authority to take every thought captive. I don't have to live in the lie that this is how it will always be. I'm gonna stop thinking that this is just a relapse. I'm gonna stop thinking that things are gonna be done right now and then they may come again. No, I can stand on the ground that I am a son of the most high. And so I will speak in clear. I once was lost, but now I am found. We will speak in clarity. I once was a slave. I was dead in my transgressions and in the sins that tied me down. And pornography will not tie me down. Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray for the relationships that are foundationalized on sexual morality. May they be broken in Jesus' name so that you may build up their identities. 
sexual morality must flee as your spirit of purity comes. I'm gonna invite the prayer team. You guys can move up here. Who is on the throne? I'm going to consecrate this place. And that's weird to say, but I'm going to consecrate this place right here as an altar. If you need to come and get low on the throne of grace, then come. Scripture says he will give you boldness to approach him in your time of need. You cannot serve two masters. You will love one and despise the other. So I invite this open. If you need to make confession verbally, go to someone. Prayer team, if you see the need, go to it. Those of you who are gifted, words of of prophecy, words of encouragement, uh, look around. We are not in a storehouse that is lacking but every good thing is here. Every good thing. So Father, we'll give you this time. We'll give you this place. Your worshipers are going to worship. Your servants are going to be dressed for your knocking. You're going to give them rest. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.